catalog and cocktails. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Here's your hosts, Juan Cicada and Tim Gasper. Welcome. It's Wednesday once again, and it's time for Catalog and Cocktails. This is a weekly live hangout, an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd and product guy at data.world, joined by my uh, co-host, Juan. Hello, Tim. I'm Juan Cicada, the principal scientist at data.world, and always a pleasure, mid-Wednesday, middle of the week, end of the day, and have some chat about data and drink some nice cocktails. And today we're joined by Mitesh Kharia, who is the chief data officer and the chief technology officer of the Zebra. We're a proud company here in Austin. Uh, you guys are growing so fast and we're gonna have a lot of chat about growing and data and organizations and people and processes and there we go. Mitesh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks for having, having me. I'm excited to, to chat with y'all and uh, to have a, a drink here on a Wednesday. So yeah. kick us off, what are you drinking and what are you and what will you toast for? Uh, I'm drinking a smoky martini, so uh, which is essentially uh, gin. Uh, I have some Hendrix gin and a little bit of scotch instead of vermouth, and uh, and so it, it's pretty nice. A nice little drink here, for refreshing in the afternoon. And I, I'm going to toast to something personal, which is we actually moved out of our house 13 months ago on March 13th, which is when everything shut down in Austin for a long planned remodel. And just a week and a half ago, we finally got back in. So I'm going to toast to finally not being crammed uh, into a tiny little spot uh, during quarantine. Awesome. Cheers to that. How about you, Tim? I am drinking a just a margarita, keeping it simple for Cinco de Mayo today. And uh, well, um, that's right. Today's mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Interesting. Time. What is time during COVID? Though? I have no idea. <laughs> what well, month is it? Well, following um, that, I'm I'm having some sotol. Texas Sotol from Driftwood, Desert Door, and I'm still with my passion fruit syrup thing that I'm doing all the time now. So just shake that up and put a little bit of splash of lemon, and that's what I'm having. So what are you toasting for, Tim? Um, you know what? I was trying to figure out what to toast to, and I'm, uh, I'm having trouble. Um, I'll toast to uh, an overwhelming amount of herbs growing in our herb garden, especially the cilantro. It's out of control right now. So cheers to lots of garden herbs. Well, I'm going to cheer in for the, for my backyard. I've been, I finally got a brand new backyard, which I've been wanting to go do for some time. So kind of, so you get, you're at a new house, you got a lot of stuff going in your backyard and I got a new backyard. So, Hey, cheers to that. Yeah. Cheers. And cheers. cheers. Excited well, then, to have you here. T- talking about backyards and gardens. So we got our, our warm up question of the day is if you could grow a garden of anything, what would it be? So uh, I'll go non-traditional here and I'll say uh, whiskey. Um, that's been, uh, it's been what's gotten me through quarantine here, uh, a nice, nice little way to, to kind of, you know, e- ease the, uh, the end of the day. And so, uh, if I could just go out and take a nice bottle of scotch off, uh, off of a vine, then, uh, then that would certainly be nice. I love that. Did you have to buy the sprouts first or could you do it from seed? Uh, I don't know. I mean, like whiskey seed might be nice, right? Like, <laughs> I'm going to copy you. I want to just have nice wine, not the grapes. I want to actually have the wine, just a nice glass. My favorite wine is a prisoner. And if I could just get that, that would be beautiful. So I love that idea. (laughs) 
Uh, I'll, I'll bend the question a little bit and say, uh, you know, we have a, uh, I think a lemon plant that's doing all right, but the, the freeze that happened here in Texas killed our lime plant. And so um, I, uh, I would love to have uh, some citrus growing again, because m most of the cocktails I work on have some kind of citrus going on. Awesome. Yeah. I was going to say real quickly that uh, if you haven't read the, the Diamond Age by Neil Stevenson, uh, there's a little bit of touch of like, get whatever you want uh, to eat, to drink, to do whatever, be a, a little machine, which is kind of hints of a uh, garden of whiskey here or garden yeah. of wine. <laughs> there you go. Well, hey, let's let, let's a lot to talk about. So let's kick it off. Hey, so I always like to start with an honest, no BS question. Um, you guys, you you guys are in a really interesting situation. You're growing so fast, and you guys are a big company that are now a, a unicorn. And so, how can a data organization scale once a company starts to grow? I mean, what is this process actually going to look like? Because you're in this position right now. Yeah, this is a great question, and, and it's something that's been on my mind a lot, right? Which is, you know, if you think about a, a data organization, it's supporting the entire business, all aspects of it. And by nature of creating a central data organization, you know, and, and all of the data architectures, uh, you know, a data lake, and I know, you, you know, you were chatting uh, about data meshes and some ways that break this, which we might get into, but, you know, you're, you're getting a lot of benefits of centralization. You're getting um, efficiencies, you're getting governance, you're getting uh, you know, expertise on data, but by nature of it being centralized, you're always a bottleneck, right? And as the, uh, the org is growing, to, you know, you're, you're either going to have to grow the data org at the same pace, which is going to be tough, um, or you're going to end up slowing something down. And then you always, it, as it grows, you end up with a situation where you get it, the more expertise you get in data, the further you can get away from the actual context of the business itself and the business domains, right? And so that's one of the things that I'm really interested in kind of unpacking is how do you get a lot of the benefits of the centralization, the, the governance, the, the efficiencies, um, but still allow the company to move forward quickly, but within the right guardrails. That's interesting. And, you know, one of the challenges with growing the company and growing your data capabilities, I liked your statement about as the org grows, like sometimes the business expertise and the data expertise can start to diverge, right? Mm -hmm. um, where, where are some of the pain points that you hit? Like, you know, at, at what points of scale do you experience certain sorts of strains and certain, certain sorts of bottlenecks? Yeah, you know, it, um, I think when you get to a point where um, where the, the number of different initiatives you have going on across the company is so, you know, so large where you can have, uh, it, not one person can keep it all in their, their own head, right? That's where it starts to break down. That's where you start to get into things like, you know, if you look at, you know, we use DBT for, as our transformation layer, right? You start to get into pretty, pretty typical software engineering patterns of how do you modularize it such that, it, almost in a service-oriented architecture or microservices type pattern to where you can have people who own and have expertise in certain areas and are very efficient in those areas, but maybe, you know, you don't have to know everything about everything, right? And so, but as soon as you do that, you naturally create silos, right? Silos aren't necessarily bad. Silos are created for efficiency in certain areas, but as soon as you have silos, cross-silo communication and knowledge becomes difficult or it becomes more challenging. And that's where 
you can have someone focused perhaps on being an expert in marketing, uh, but not necessarily understanding how various types of traffic you bring to your site perform downstream. And without that, that knowledge or that understanding, uh, you might make subpar or kind of localized decisions that might not be good overall. So one of the things that we just, that we the kind of in preparation for this discussion is that we were going to go do a live brainstorming here of, of how to actually go scale because you're, you, you started now this conversation about, well, sent, being centralized is going to be a bottleneck. Mm-hmm. So the question, immediate first question I have is, when does centralization kind of, it's okay. And at what point do we start realizing, oh, we're breaking, we're breaking, it's the bottleneck and we need to start decentralizing. And how do you decentralize that stuff? So let, 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 let's start kind of live brainstorming here. So my first kind of thing I want to go talk about is when do we know that centralization is, is okay? And when did it start to break? Is it size of the, of employees, uh, the, the, the amount of the ratio between business can business users and data engineers or, or what are your thoughts about it? Because you are literally going through this right now. Yeah, we, we are. And, and I kind of look at it and I say, um, we are at a point where I would say we need to solve that now because we'll hit that point, you know, where if we haven't solved it, it within the next nine to 12 months, it's actually going to be, you know, it's going to slow us down significantly. So to be specific here is what is your size right now? Like what's the size of the zebra? What's the type of folks who are there? Sure. Yeah. So the zebra overall, we're, we're just under 350 people um, with an engineering org of just right around 100 um, and a data org of right around 40 people uh, parallel to that. And that the data org includes data engineers, analytics engineers, data product, data science, analysts, governance, you know, everything under that data umbrella. And so, um, you know, we're at a point now where we have enough different strands going throughout the business um, that, uh, that we really do need to solve this. We're, we're able to, to kind of keep up right now, but we've definitely, you know, I think maybe if you look at it as when you get to a point where, you know, kind of on what Tim and I were talking about before, where you're, engineers where your analysts have to specialize and can't necessarily keep the entire business in their head. That's one in my mind where you start to think about this. Um, and so that's, that's actually part of what got me uh, digging into uh, data meshes and listening to your, uh, you know, your episode that you guys had on, on data meshes as well, as well as thinking about ways we might borrow from, uh, from engineering and product and, cross-functional teams and pods and just various ideas around how you uh, how you move forward there. Interesting. Yeah. And just for those who aren't as familiar with the data mesh concept, uh, if you haven't had a chance to check out the, the previous episode on that, you know, that's really looking at as your organization grows, how do you start to take a more decentralized and platform and sort of data as product oriented approach to your, your data capabilities in your organization? Yeah. Uh, so and I, I, Oh, I know what you said when you when when you can't keep how the business functions inside of somebody's head, that's already a trigger. Like, wait, we we got to start decentralizing. You can't expect one person or even a team to understand everything. So I think that's a really good indicator right there. So we'll yeah, I mean, if you think about it, you look at at engineering, right? That that is the in my mind the first point when if you have a monolithic code base, you start to think about okay, do we break this apart? Right? Do we break it apart so that we can have teams operating independently? and efficiently in their own areas. 
Um, but you get that point in my mind when the code base and the space is so big that ramping up a new hire, you know, or getting an impact from a new hire is incredibly, you know, incredibly difficult. There's a lot of tribal knowledge or, you know, you have this issue where even with automated unit tests and speaking about engineering, it, you know, a change in one area has an unintended side effect in another area. And, and, it's, and, and that just happens more and more frequently. Right? That's something key that you just said right. too, which was the, if you're hiring somebody, right, just actually just try to uh, keep track of how long does it take to get them on board. If right. things start to get longer and longer, that's also an indicator that something needs to change right there. Exactly. Because you can't hire someone and expect that, great, you, you know, they'll be impactful in six months because they have to learn everything about the business, the, you know, the data domains and the code base just to be able to make one change. Right. And this hiring analogy might actually extend a little bit as we start to explore the data mesh concept and thinking about decentralization is like, what would be the incremental value that somebody brings into the organization if let's say it's adding an analyst, if you added that analyst and then you put them in your central team mm -hmm. versus what if that same analyst instead was embedded closer to the business, might that person actually have a bigger positive impact to the organization? That might be some kind of an inflection point. Yeah. And you know, you look at it and, and actually I, I kind of have pondered what about both, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so you look at almost a, a hub and spoke model where you need some amount of central platform, right? And, and so this is kind of where, uh, you know, I, I think, Tim, you ended, I think it was you that ended the, the last episode kind of calling out how the, the data mesh concept is a really great future abstraction, but it's abstract. It, it is still, in my mind, far too abstract to put into practice. And so I, I'm looking at it as, great, if we look at this vision, what, what are some concepts? What are some things that I can put into practice um, and, right. you know, one of the, the ideas is that we, we, I still think we need to have a core team focused on building the tools, the platform, the pipelines, the things that, that we can use and don't have to rebuild over and over again. But do you have then data liaisons on each of the product engineering teams, right? So you don't necessarily have them completely owning and developing data as a product, but there is someone on those teams just like you might have, you know, we, we have teams where we have front end developers, back end developers, a product manager, a designer, you know, QE, maybe there's a data engineer or an analytics engineer on there. Um, and, uh, and, you know, that is the, the person who understands the data well enough. Um, and I see that there is a, you know, a question around like, is the data liaison a product manager? Um, and that's a great question. And I will say, I don't think so. So the reason that is the case is, so we have that, right? Our product managers with their specs, they have a whole section on analytics and what questions they want to answer and what that means in terms of events we need to fire and dashboards and all that kind of stuff. But where we find is that there's still a gap because they're not involved enough in the data itself to understand what is possible and what's not. So their set of questions that they can ask are in many ways limited to what they know. Um, and so th that's, that's why I think it's, it's actually more than the product. So I, I, I think I agree with you, but let me kind of put it, say, I, let me say that the data liaison is a product manager, but mm -hmm. for the central team. So I like, I, I like how you're, we're talking about a hub and spoke. So 
clearly we need to have a combination of centralization and decentralization. You're talking about a, the hub, let it be the, the, the central team. They're the core team to go build things that are reusable, right? Reusable, let it be pipelines, let it be models. Like there's what, what I always say before is there's no reason for people to go reinvent the, 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 the what is a, what is a, the concept of a user and so forth, right? A first name, last name, email and so forth. Like those should be reusable models. But then you also have, you want to decentralize is uh, every, basically by domains. Every domain should have its own product manager. But then mm -hmm. the central team should have a liaison with the different product managers uh, of, every, of every, uh, every spoke. But that liaison is basically going to be the product manager for the central team because they're the ones who are going to take inputs, requirements from the domain saying, hey, we're trying to go do this thing, core team. You guys are too slow. We're going to go do this. It's like, all right, go do it, but I'm going to keep track of you, see how it's going on, because you're also tracking other different kind of decentralized teams to go do this. So basically my rant here is to say, I think the, the, you have this liaison that are part of the central team, but they mm -hmm. actually serve as the product managers for the central core team. But every single decentralized domain will also have their own product managers. And I, that I completely agree with, by the way. And, and I saw the clarification on the data product manager, and that is actually how we're set up. Right, we have data product managers as part of the central team. We they they do liaison with the product managers and teams, uh, you know, product development teams. I my pondering is: Do we need more? Do we actually need engineers um, that understand data, that understand events, that you know? So here's a concrete example, mm -hmm. which is um, we have our own event pipeline that we built with some schema validation to kind of ensure that we can get pretty clean semi-structured data pushed to help answer questions. We don't have to go after the fact and do a whole lot of cleaning. Um, but there's often questions on the product development teams of, okay, so how do I, you know, how do I send this data? What data, what should I send it? When should I send it? And an understanding of how that event translates all the way down into an insight is something that uh, like that's a unique bit of knowledge. And so that, that's kind of what I'm pondering is, you know, if you think about the data mesh concept is the data as a product that that team would have all the knowledge to understand how to, how to develop that event, how to, how to translate their data into something that's useful. Um, and so that, that's kind of what I'm, I'm pondering and wondering there is, is, yeah. is that necessary? And and I guess just to take what you're saying and, and turn it into some sort of a situational example, right? Like a use case comes along where the business says that they, you know, they, they need to answer a particular question, right? Let's say it's uh, something related to a marketing campaign that they're thinking of doing or something like that, right? Then what, what does that look like then? Who's getting involved? The, the product manager is getting involved from the centralized team. Potentially an engineer is getting involved along with the product manager from the centralized team. And then, and then the, the, the business domain person who's driving the use case from the spoke may get involved and maybe they even have an analyst or somebody that's coming along for the ride. Is this kind of like sounding right? In terms yeah. Of and, and I mean, I guess that where, where I, I'll take it to is the, the scaling stuff, right? And, and mm -hmm. the idea of not being a bottleneck, which is with the data product manager liaison with the product managers, to your point, you, you know, they can talk about, great, we're going to, you know, this is what we need. Right. And this is how we're going to approach things. But what if that product team needs to move faster than the centralized team can support them? Right. That's where you, okay, great. If you're going to enable and empower them to move forward, 
don't they need to have some basic level of data knowledge to do that? And, and that, that's kind of where I look, look and see, like, do we, that was what I was referring to regarding a, you know, a data liaison or someone that is less about getting that, that work or that functionality back into the central core platform, but more about understanding how to enable and empower those teams to move, so, move independently. So, yeah. So we should always, should we always strive to let the, uh, the product team, the data product team of a domain run as fast as they can or or should the core put some boundaries and saying we know we understand what you want to go do but hey calm down like take it easy like what should that balance be yeah you know that that's a great question because it, i think one it depends on your size and stage of company right and it shifts because your your risk and your tolerance for for moving quickly and there being mistakes you know it goes down as your your business matures and there's more established uh, you know, revenue streams and things like that. Um, but, you know, I do think there needs to be some amount of guardrails and governance and structure there to support them or why have a central team in the, in, you know, in the first place, why not just be completely distributed and let everyone go? Well, on that, can you imagine a, a fully distributed data organization with no central team? It's no hub and spoke. It's, it's just uh I mean, the airline analogy, it's, it's a Southwest versus the legacy carrier of, of United and-, and, and, and Well, but so I, I guess the analogy is I, I can't imagine how that would work because think of it, think about it as Southwest, but a Southwest where every airplane had different controls depending on where you were flying from and to. And as a user, as, as a, a, you know, uh, a customer, I had to go to a different site and book a ticket a different way, depending on what leg I was flying. Right. And that's, that, 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 so if I follow this analogy, I think that's the reason why like Southwest only uses 737s because they've standardized. So they're, 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 exactly. they're point to point, but they standardize at least on something. So is that a lesson here that if you're going to strive to be very cent decentralized, you still need to go standardize on something, which in a way it's some sort of centralization, but not really. I mean, centralization of policies and standards and things like that versus, uh, versus uh, the, the work itself. Yeah. Which is, you know, in some ways an interesting thing. And, and again, I'll, I'll go back to engineering because I feel like some of those have been more matured. But you have an engineering culture. You have certain uh, approaches like, okay, we're always going to do peer code reviews. We're always going to write unit tests. We're all, you know, and you have perhaps an, an infrastructure team that has built your CI CD pipelines and your deployment pipelines. And so there's certain things that you're always going to do the same, right? But you don't go say, hey, you have to write the code exactly this way. You don't, you have to solve the problem exactly this way. But you put, you, you not only put the guardrails in there, but you've added the, the supporting structures to enable those teams. And so, you know, that's one half of what I'm looking at is, is how do we do that on the data side? So, the, so follow this analogy then, uh, having an established CI/CD framework using these tools and that stuff, that's the equivalent of, well, we agreed to go fly a 737 and just get pilots into 737s. Right. We can still be very decentralized about that. Uh, but at some point, um, just going back here and look at my notes are saying silos aren't bad, right? They're create, they're there to create efficiency. However, cross silos is when it makes it hard. So does that mean I'm, there's this whole talk, a lot that I've been talking recently is about this ba balance between efficiency and resilience. Mm -hmm. So if you're optimizing for efficiency, 
then mm-hmm. one could say, look, let's just be completely decentralized. Let everybody go do whatever they want. We give them, we give them the right tools such that they're standardized. So nobody needs to go reinvent the wood. You, everybody use different testing frameworks. Let's just use one same standardized on that. But yeah, hit the ground running, do whatever you want. You're all efficient. But then in the long run, we lose resiliency. Mm-hmm. And the question there is like, what's more, what's more important or, or, or what should I strive for? What does success look like for what does success look like for me to be efficient or to be resilient? And, and, I, and I think that that changes by business and by stage of the company, right? When we, when we started at the zebra, it was all about efficiency. We, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the book by Kent Beck, Stream Programming from back in the nineties, the, the but there was a, you know, a number of tenets that, that kind of led into, you know, modern day agile methodologies. But one of the, the tenets was asking a question of, is, is this requirement, like, is there a requirement to build this right now? And if not, you don't prematurely build anything, right? It was a hundred percent focused on efficiency, 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 and not resilience. And I would argue that at that stage of company, when you don't, you don't have product market fit, you don't know if what you're building today is going to be there this afternoon, right? Um, efficiency is the most important thing. As you grow, I think that that shifts um, and to more of a balance between resilience and, and efficiency. Um, and, uh, and you probably need to, to, you know, to find that balance for your company. Um, and, and maybe I'll, if you'll give me one more, uh, you know, uh, grant me this, this little cheesy metaphor that one of my men- mentors had told me is, uh, you know, and, and I'll ask the two of you is, is he told me at one point or asked me, so why do cars have brakes? So it's not so you can stop. It's so you can go fast. Safely. Right? What's that? Go fast safely. Safely. Exactly. That's- this is an analogy that we, we, we said a lot here. Yeah, we love this one, yeah. We love yeah. this one. And so that, you know, you look at it and, and so what are the breaks in a modern data organization, right? How do you, you know, we talk about, great, you need to be able to see, you need the data observability and there's a lot of stuff and tools around monitoring and observability. But then what are, what are the things that, you know, in, in an engineering org, you can have, okay, great, I wanna be able to do push button deploys and rollbacks, you know, image-based deploys so that you have consistency. Do we have something like that in data? Uh, you know, that, that, what is that? What, what, what can we make the brakes on our car in data to enable us to move fast safely and with that confidence and trust that even if we do break something, we'll find out right away and we can, we can fix it right away. Right. Do you feel that this conversation that I feel like has been increasing lately around data ops is helping us think more about the cultural aspects of, hey, how do we add the brakes to the car and bring more of these methodologies from software more into the data or the data world? I, I mean, I do think it is right. Like that. That's one of the things I look at um, is where where can we borrow from what's already been done, right? Where do we not have to reinvent the wheel? But then at the same time data is a different problem. And, and, you know, sometimes it's, I, I personally, because I'm also, you know, I'm coming from a tech background too. I have to remind myself that what worked in, in engineering, what worked in tech won't necessarily just, you know, work as a copy paste in, uh, in data. Yeah, the analogy isn't perfect. Right. Right. It, and in fact, there's places where it diverges quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Let me go back to, I'm liking this whole efficiency and resilience conversation we're having. You said something really interesting, which is when you start, you need to be efficient. You don't know if you're going to be around tomorrow to go do that. But can you 
you can be efficient if you're small enough, you can be efficient with a centralized team. But mm -hmm. that, at what time do you realize that you need to go break that centralized team to be then, is it what, to be fully decentralized, to be even more efficient or start having a hybrid, a hub and spoke? Because I mean, I think that's that's the interesting thing. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking people who are like, well, my company is 10 people, 50 people, 100 people, 200 people. At what point do I shift? Do I do a radical shift from centralized to decentralized? Do something in the middle? Yeah. Yeah. Is I, the I, point I, of a spoke to then create an efficient pod, whereas like the or the the larger system is resilient, but the pod is efficient? Yeah, and, and that's- Ooh, I like that. Yeah, that's kind of the way that, that we've looked at it, right? So I can't necessarily speak to everyone, but the way that we grew was very much a- where, where is the biggest pain point? Where is the area that we need the most efficiency at this point? And let's break that one off and make it a pod and be really good there, but still like not, not go like, great, we're going to go from one end and swing the pendulum all the way to the other side, but let's make it a progress. And we don't necessarily like, let's have a general idea of where we're going, but start by the most pressing need and kind of pull that part off and then pull the next part off. And that, that's the way we've approached it over time. Um, so I like that analogy. Um, and then, you know, as to when one of the things that, you know, that we've seen or that I've seen is, is generally around, you know, tens, threes and tens, right? Like at three people, at 10 people, at 30 people, at hundred people is, is typically around when, you know, the communication structures broke down when you needed more management, when you needed more support. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you know, from Conway's law, organizational structure, communication structure, technology, it's all tied together. It's all the same. And so the threes and tens is, is generally what I've found in terms of when these things start to come up and you need to start to make that next, next step, the next growth. And we just crossed 300, which is part of why, which is part of why I'm thinking about this right now. Interesting. I like that as a rule of thumb. Wow. I'm, I, I'm taking a bunch of notes here. This is fantastic. Wow. So uh, if we have if we have one more minute, there's a, I'll just pose one more question here if you don't mind. Yeah, please. Um, around uh, around this, which is one of the other areas I'm thinking about from growing is, and uh, you know I don't know if other teams do this the same way or differently. Is we have an analytics team, we have analytics engineers, we have data engineers. They're organized within their teams so that the data engineers are really efficient and understand how to do data engineering. The analytics engineers understand our, our models and our transformations and the analysts, they understand analytics, they're, they're aligned with the business. But because they're aligned there, there's still a little bit of great analytics, analysts need something that then goes to analytics engineers that then go to data engineers. Is there a world where we shift this into to pods almost like you might have a front-end developer, a back-end developer product, et cetera, where you actually have pods of a data product manager of, you know, uh, yes. analyst and analytics engineer, yes. data engineer. Yes. I, yes. But I think that that happens when are you, when you're a hundred or when you're 300, it's like, I think, because just imagine it's expensive to go oh, yeah. have a pod to go do that. Right. So, so, but that, that I think would be the most of if let's say money is not an issue right now inside, like, I think that would be a way how we can be very, how a pod or this decentralized pod can be efficient and how we can actually make sure that every, everybody has the same type of know-how around it. That makes us really resilient about it. Otherwise you're like, uh, there's this team of one, two people who have to go do this, all this stuff by themselves. And they, and they have to, they, I mean, they're boiling the ocean for all these things. Right. Mm -hmm. So 
I think we we should strive for that, but I think it's actually more about cost uh, yeah. and setting up something because think about it, like a sale, the sales organization, right? The marketing organization, like these should all have their team of of data product managers, of data engineers, of of of, of, of your data scientists, of of your of your knowledge scientists, and something I've been thinking about is that you would want them also to move within an organization. Because if you're a data engineer for the sales department, it's like, eh, you're going to get bored about this stuff. But hey, you know what? Your next cycle is to go work on the, in the marketing uh, pod. That's, you're going to learn something new. You're going to bring in new information. You're going to bring in new know-how to it. So you get to kind of share the knowledge across the organization. So I think this is, this is something we need to start structuring within organizations on. You're not a kind of decentralize the data teams and they should also have like a template. Hey, your data team should look like this um, and get people excited so they can go move around and learn a lot about different aspects of the company. I, the other aspect that I really like about it when it comes to growth, and, and I agree that like there's a lot, you know, that, that comes into scale and, and efficiencies of scale and being able to afford it. One of the things I like about it is it gives you a template for growing your org too. I need to go add more capacity. Well, guess what? I need you know, to go hire one of these, you know, all of these different types of roles to build a pod to go execute on this. That is key. You want to have a template to grow, mm -hmm. a template to grow. And I think once you're thinking about growing, you want to be able to figure out this balance of efficiency and resilient. And I think having mm -hmm. the right people, have, having a hub and spoke model where the, the decentralized pods, they're, 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 they have a team there that they can hit the ground running, but they know how to communicate between different pods through the central team. I think that's what we should go strive for. Question is, how do we get from three to that type of stuff? I think I like the stuff, the thing about the threes and the tens, uh, yeah. start with efficiency. Uh, at some point you have to have this balance and you figure out when, when, when do you know that things are breaking, right? The, mm -hmm. You can't fit everything, every, all the business is, it doesn't fit inside somebody's head, right? Uh, if it takes too long to, to, to hire someone, uh, if you're constantly answering support requests from your, your org, right, because they don't understand the data or things are broken, then it's pretty clear you're, you're at a breaking point, right? Ah, well, I think we already started to our, start doing our takeaways. But before we get there, let's go do a, a, a new segment that here we got called uh, the, the Honest No BS Lightning Round. So surprise, <laughs> surprise, surprise questions. All right. Yes, yes or no answers. Uh, okay. you, we'll give you some time that you can kind of back them up. So question number one. Every company should treat their data like a product. Yes, 100%. Uh, da data is a product. Da data is, I mean, besides it, it's a product to the in inside of the org, right? People, we operate based on it. Our, the customers of the product are inside the org, but it's one of the most important assets as a company I think you can have. And, and there's value to the company, but value outside the company too. So yes, 100%. Awesome. Okay, next question. Every organization, large or small, should hire a data product manager. Yes, I will say that because uh, not having one means you're going to have to do a significant amount of work later to do to to actually go and build a, a, the right data org, and even just having a data product manager can help you start to move towards being a data driven organization. So yes. Uh, or someone who operates like a data product manager. I'm going to, I'm going to get a t-shirt made and I'm going to have your quote on here. Cause mm -hmm. says, yes, <laughs> Absolutely. <I> love it. <laughs> All right. Another question. Data engineers are harder to scale than data analysts. 
I'm going to say no, um, because they both have unique skill sets and bits of knowledge, right? Data engineers understand data. They understand pipelines. Um, they're an expert there, but data analysts have to understand the business and data and also have to understand how to work with stakeholders, provide insights and, and craft stories. And that's also, in my experience, like being able, not, not just being able to look at the data, but being able to be a storyteller about it is also hard to learn and scale. So I would say now. Interesting. I like that. And then uh, last honest, no BS lightning round question here for you. I'm going to caveat a little bit. If you can swing it, or if you're large enough, is decentralized better than centralized? Um, I can't say maybe. Uh, so I'll say no, not strictly. Um, and, and the reason I'll say this is, is as an example, I, I recently spoke, a, a friend of mine is the VP of engineering at Shopify. And we were talking about service-oriented architecture, uh, you know, microservices or monoliths. And Shopify is a monolith and they still are. And they've built structures and support and thing to, to operate it because they decided that they weren't going to, they were going to invest that time that they might've spent splitting it apart in making it efficient and, and work and putting in the, the structure so they could work with a monolith, right? And so that's why I'll say, say, no, it's not strictly better. I think it depends on your org, the people you have in it, what you need to do and how they work well together and where you're starting from. Well, I'm going to piggyback on this really quickly. Is Shopify resilient then? Oh yeah, they, they are, but that's because they've focused all of their efforts, not on building a resilient services organization. They've focused it on, well, uh, so I mean, to your point, they, they, they've had to, they've had to, they have the resilience built in in some ways and have to focus on being efficient, right? To, to go use the efficiency versus resilience, as opposed to, hey, we have the efficiency of individual, you know, autonomous microservices and we have to build in resilience. So they're solving the other half of the equation. Interesting. They've chosen one thing to be the, the foundation foot and they're pivoting on the other side. Correct. Hmm. Hey, well, Tim. The TTT, Tim takes us away with takeaways. Oh my goodness. Uh, I'm looking at the notes that we took here. And uh, one of the follow-ups, Vitesh, might be that we need to write a book together or something yeah. like that because there's a lot here. Um, so I actually wrote down um, a little bit of a perspective versus just tidbits that came out of, of, uh, of what you said. And that's that I'm seeing like a, a, a roadmap here or like, a, or like a, a, a recipe that you can follow where... You know, you've got this sort of the concept of the pod, which ties sort of the, to the data mesh concept. You've got certain players that make it a full stack or a fully capable pod, right? Mm -hmm. And then as you grow as an organization, you're, you've got the, this like slider where on one side is efficiency and other is resilience, right? And depending on where your attitude is on this slider is you're making decisions about when do I split off and create another pod? Mm -hmm. And then you've got some decisions that you're making as you grow, maybe when you hit threes and when you hit tens, where you're thinking, okay, do I add a pod to the hub? And now I'm kind of clustering the hub. You're thinking, okay, you know what? Actually, I need to create a pod in a spoke and actually embed it more in the business. And then as you grow, as you grow, as you grow, you're adding these pods. And then the shape of the hub is changing or the goal of the hub right. is changing, right? right? It starts off more where like the hub and the spokes are doing heavy production. 
But then the hub starts, a hub starts to become more platform focused and more uh -huh. services focused, and maybe eventually even becomes more like enablement focused or evangelism focused. You use the word I was gonna, I was gonna focus on the word enablement. Hmm. So I think this is fascinating. Fun. This sort of trajectory, this roadmap. I, I feel like it's not discussed enough. Yeah, and, and that's my again the whole efficiency and resilience. I think is something I'm really fascinated about right now, and and this balance is like when you start, you need to be efficient because you don't know if you're going to be around tomorrow, right? So you need to be efficient about this. Uh, so yeah, you maybe start with one central team about it. And it's and, and, and I think at some point you realize I need to hit the ground running. And that's why you want to be, you can be, you can flip to almost being decentralized. Look, let's let every team go do whatever they want. Uh, we're going to have silos, but you know what? That's okay because we need to be efficient very quickly here. Uh, but you still have to have this culture of, of it, you're really standardizing some practices, some processes, right? You all have a testing framework. We all have our CICD. So in a way, the analogy of Southwest all having 737s versus once you go have a hub and spoke model as a legacy carriers. But at some point when you start growing, you can, you can afford to be focused a lot more on resilience. And then you want to have that central pod that strives for resilience while you still have all these decentralized pods, right? Through the spokes where they're going to strive for efficiency. And then that's the balance. And you're going to have product managers, product liaisons working together. And then the threes and the tens. That's, I think this is another key takeaway is where are you with the threes and the tens, threes, tens, a hundreds, thirties, a hundred, so forth. That's when you should start thinking about where am I right now? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the Pareto principle. And so threes and tens to me feels very foundational, similar to that. Yeah, it's something like, you know, it, that empirically as we were growing, like, you know, was it exactly at 30? No, but like around the, you know, around those is when I sensed that like, hey, things in the organization that worked no longer work. Things in the code that work no longer work. You know, we had to go and take different approaches. Some sort of a refactor is needed now. Right. So me just throwing it back to you for a final kind of two things. One, what's your advice? general about anything and two who should we invite next yeah so I, I thought about the advice question and then i guess it, it came down to something that i think about a lot um because uh because i i've maybe intentionally or unintentionally practiced it and that's really surround yourself with great people right um there's no way that we as zebra would be here i i would be able to to be where i am without having great people with me who challenge me, who I can rely on to call BS on me, to, to you know, to spitball and, and have these great conversations with and just in life. And so I, I think that you, you, I can't understate how much being around and, you know, working with great people, how important it is. Love that. So, and then um, I also was thinking about who to invite next. And I had a, a non-tech rec uh, recommendation that, that John uh, will probably also know, which is Craig O'Shaughnessy. He may not come back here. So assuming that he may not, um, yeah, he was mentioning Craig O'Shaughnessy, who is somebody in the tennis community who actually does a bunch of analytics um, specifically around tennis, which isn't necessarily an area that has gotten a lot of the same focus from an analytics standpoint as things like, uh, you know, Moneyball and baseball and things like that. Right. So, uh, uh, that, that would be a very interesting one. I feel like Juan, to, to, that's a much more practical application of, of data analysis. Right. Yeah, exactly. Love that. Well, Tim, this was a great conversation and thanks to me Tish, for this conversation. We learned a lot have so many notes. I'm really excited to go back and listen to this episode. So much to say.
Absolutely. And everyone that you know, this is a live chat. So anything can happen. Happy Wednesday to you all. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.